Join me as I talk with people who express their creativity in ways that can inspire the rest of us to recognize our own creativity. And if you enjoy these conversations, please like, subscribe, and share them. Hello and welcome to Creativity Conversations. This is episode 55 and I have the beautiful and talented Narda Scove with us today. Hello, Narda. Hello, Nina. Thank you for having me. You're quite welcome. And this will be a, a little bit different from our usual subjects, although they're almost always different, but this one is unique. And I'm going to start with uh, Narda's bio and we will just jump into it. Narda is a very experienced health educator. So this is a little bit of her background. Narda is a health educator and workshop leader who's worked for the past 25 years teaching, training, and counseling youth and adults on issues of sexual and reproductive health. She holds a master's in public health from Columbia University. And while in New York, she worked for over 15 years with Star Theater and all its programs. Narda currently works at ETR, a health training company in Oakland, California. She works with the California Department of Public Health and their Maternal, Child, and Adolescent Division to train educators throughout the state of California. She also has a personal consulting business for teaching middle and high school students about puberty, birth control, healthy relationships, body image, media influence, pornography, and peer pressure. Narda believes that teaching sexuality is often a difficult subject, but goals are simple. We want our children to feel good about any of the decisions they make regarding their health, and to understand that sexuality is an integral and positive part of our lives, and to develop healthy, positive feelings about their bodies. That's impressive. Yeah. My favorite line is wanting young people to feel good about the decisions that they make. Yes. Their lifetimes. Mm -hmm. So what are the challenges that you face teaching health ed to kids? And yeah. how has that changed over the years? Because you've been doing it for a while. Well, I would say that the challenges, the initial challenges, and probably the most difficult and consistent challenges are always school districts and school boards who are a little bit more conservative and nervous um and it, it's a little astonishing to me that we are that you know 25 years in that i'm having the same conversation with parents that no teaching sex ed does not lead to an early onset of sexual activity or it does not promote any unsafe behaviors. In fact, it does quite the opposite. With a comprehensive sexuality program, we know that it definitely delays by at least one year uh, the onset, like I said, the onset of sexual, uh, putting sexual activity that puts one at risk. So intercourse or something that could give somebody a sexually transmitted infection. Welcome to Creativity Conversations. This is episode 55, and we have a very special conversation today with Narda Scove. Hi, Narda. Hello, Nina. Thank you for having me. I'm very honored. Oh, my goodness. Well, my pleasure. So Narda is a health educator, which she's been doing for 25 years, and I'm going to read you a little bit of her bio, and then we're going to explore this hot topic. <laughs> Narda Scove is a health educator and workshop leader who's worked for the past 25 years teaching, training, and counseling youth and adults on issues of sexual and reproductive health. She holds a master's in public health from Columbia University, and while in New York City, she worked for over 15 years with Star Theater and all of its programs. Narda currently works at ETR, a health training company in Oakland, California. She works with the California Department of Public Health and their Maternal, Child, and Adolescent Division to train educators throughout the state of California. She also has a personal consulting business for teaching middle and high school students about puberty, birth control, healthy relationships, body image, media, 
pornography, and peer pressure. Narda believes that teaching sexuality is often a difficult subject, but goals are simple. We want our children to feel good about any of the decisions they make regarding their health and to understand that sexuality is an integral and positive part of our lives and to develop healthy and positive feelings about their bodies. Wow. I right, and I know <laughs> every time I, um, I read that line or I think about why it is I do the work that I do, it's really just so that young people feel good and that young people can make healthy and safe decisions for themselves, whatever those decisions are. That it's wow. such an individual choice. I have so many questions for you. I think mm -hmm. I'm going to start with going back to the, not to the very beginning, but when you became part of Star Theater and what that program was all about. I graduated from UCLA and it was at the height of the HIV epidemic in the early 1990s. And so I moved to New York City with, uh, to work at the Adolescent Health Center at Mount Sinai Hospital with Dr. Sadal Berlin, who was the founder of Star Theater. And it was such, I will say a very frightening time, mm. but it was also a very dynamic time for health education. This was a deadly disease at the time. It no longer currently is um, because there's medication to lower one's viral load and to prevent an HIV education, which is just when we think about, you know, 30 years ago, the fact that we would be here today is pretty, is pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, and science is pretty amazing when we think about that. But it was in the 1990s in New York City in East Harlem and there were so many young people getting infected and how do we reach those young people in a new and dynamic way and this was at a time when it was really a very conservative congress and abstinence only education was coming out and people were very anti-gay people were oh this is god's will and all of that just for lack of a better word, crazy stuff that really had nothing to do with reality. Um, but it was a very scary time. And, in, and we knew that this disease was 100% preventable, but we also knew that we needed to get that message out there. And so using theater to reach young people was probably one of the most dynamic and creative ways to reach young people that I think I've ever seen. Um, I was going to say that what a what a novel idea and to a, a a very very difficult subject. Yeah, well, it's a really fa it's fascinating because theater and the magic of theater. When you have a character, there's something that happens with the audience and especially with young people that they know that it is not the person who is experiencing that particular disease or issue at that time, but it is part of that character's backstory. And so they ask questions in a way that is incredibly empathic, but they can also sort of get lost in that magic of theater and those characters, if it's well-written and it's well-performed. So it really, um, it was ever evolving in terms of what we needed to talk about. And the first show that I got involved in, it was uh, Star Low, and it was for fifth and sixth grade. And it was an abstinence only grant because we said, well, we'll take the money. If the government is only giving out abstinence only money, we can say fifth and sixth graders should probably not be having sex. That, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to not give somebody the information, but we could probably, you know, have all of that information without talking about birth control in that same show and still follow those guidelines. So we tried to get as creative as we could in public health. Sometimes it's, sometimes we have to, you know, try on a few different costumes and different hats to try to uh, get funded, if you will. Yeah. Uh, but it was um, a really, really uh, impactful show. So we would do, there were eight characters, each had a unique story. So one was born with HIV, one um, wet the bed, but that was the beginning of, uh, or a nocturnal emission or a wet dream. So we got to talk about puberty through that character. 
one had was being molested by their cousin. Um, so we talked about staying safe and good touch and bad touch and who to report to through that character. Um, and, uh, you know, just a number of other issues that would present themselves, you know, throughout puberty or adolescence, we always were evolving the characters. And so it was through those scenarios or those little uh, scenes that we would introduce the characters and then we would come back into the classroom for six sessions following the show and we would dive deeper into those issues that that character presented so one go one character got her period in class and so I had to run out of class and her friend tied the shirt around her waist and and so it was through the the, the male character and the female character that we talked about all the changes that happened during puberty and what it means to get your period and what it means to begin to start to have erections or um, you know, uh, nocturnal emissions, like I said. Yeah. And were the kids, what was the kids' response? Were they embarrassed? Yeah. Were they, did they get engaged? Did they feel like they were free to ask questions that they couldn't ask at home? So when we enter, um, they, they you know, see that these are actors, but we do a little, you know, we do a pre-show sort of warm up, which just says, you know, these are actors, these are real situations, but they did not happen specifically to them. And here's what the format is gonna be. You're gonna see original music and original scripts, but you, um, and they will stay in character afterwards. And so they sing along and they're really funny scenes and so the kids will get embarrassed with them or start giggling. And so we have a list of sort of, you know, some rough ground rules, like, you know, it's okay. Any question is a great question. No such thing as a silly or a dumb question, because if you're thinking of it, some chances are somebody else is in the room. And, um, and then we would facilitate it afterwards. And so we, we would say they're going to stay in character and you can ask any question that you would like of these characters. So, you know, did you tell somebody, you know, I really felt for you when, you know, you revealed that you had HIV, that happened to my cousin too. You know, so how did the young people respond? It was unbelievable how they responded. They literally just dove right in. I mean, if you like, just, it, it, I don't know how to describe it other than they sort of got swept into that performance and were like, wide-eyed and you know and some would be really you know empathic and some would just be listening because it's the first time in their lives that a they had heard anybody discuss these issues or b that they had learned of someone else their their age having these issues so it was often sometimes i, mean, I wouldn't say uh, it was heavy at times but i think with a skilled facilitator because so all of the actors are trained and they had to do a minimum of six weeks of peer education training or peer health to become a peer health actor educator. And then the facilitator is somebody who's deeply experienced as well. And so we are of course all mandated reporters. So if something does get revealed and we're in a school and so we have a discussion with the school uh, prior to the performance as well. And we also um, know and, and talk to the parents because we will, we, the best way to do it, to get that parent involvement is to sh uh, perform the show for them so that they understand what their kids are seeing as well. So there's no misunderstanding and we get parents on board. And usually when parents see the show, they're like, oh, I wish I had that. Oh, I wish, you know, why didn't somebody come to my school and talk about that stuff too? Because it's really just normalizing the experience of growing up. So. I have, I have two questions. One is, do you remember any of the really funny lines in any of the songs? <laughs> oh, gosh. I'll um, let you think about that for a second. No, I no, no, I do remember question. one where okay. it's just, you know, like the, the older brother, uh, the older brother, there's a bunk bed scene and the older brother sleeps on the top bunk and the younger brother sleeps on the bottom bunk and he has a nocturnal emission and the old and the younger brother thinks that he wets his bed. So he makes fun of him and the kids just are uproarious. They just can't believe. And he's of course so embarrassed because he doesn't know what's going on. So he thinks that he did wet the bed and he thinks that his brother has a secret. And so they just it's hysterical. It's hysterical, but in a in a 
touching way and knowing that we can share the, the, the medically accurate information for what is going on for him so that we minimize any of that fear or anger or embarrassment. Yeah, that, yeah. that's, that's really amazing that, that, uh, that those songs could be written in such a way as to be human. You know, yeah. not clinical, but human. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like that's been the whole emphasis with the work that you've been doing. Without, without a doubt. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's just normalizing and helping young people to understand that what you are going through and what you are feeling is absolutely within that arc or that realm of, of what normal, developmentally normal behavior is. So we're everybody goes through it some people have stronger feelings about certain things or some people have different experiences but you deserve to feel good about your body and nobody has the right to make fun of you to touch you in a way that you don't want to be touched to then you have the right in most states to go get the information and the health care that you need mm -hmm. for example in california at 12 years old you can go and get birth control without a parent's consent wow. of course we would like you to have you know a trusted adult in your life if that's a parent that's phenomenal that's absolutely fantastic but for those cases where that is not possible we don't want a young person to to not be able to get services because yeah. they have to get per, you know parental consent or if they might get in trouble for something yeah. right if their parent finds out right my other question was did uh, were your classes both boys and girls oh yeah yeah and that's so funny that you asked that because even to this day i continue to be asked well do you separate the boys and the girls and i'm like huh why are we still asking this question 25 years later that seems kind of i get it and i understand and and i and i even see the, the there's a huge benefit for boys to be able to talk to men in this field about their feelings, about what consent means, about what a healthy relationship is. What does it mean when your heart is broken? How do you show that? How do you, how do you express anger? Because if you think about in our society, young men are able to show two or three emotions and that's anger, that's happiness and, you know, and uh, frustration, right? So the being able to be sad or being able to be vulnerable or being able to, um, to just express, you know, confusion about something or, or just, just being able to say, I don't know. I don't know what this is. I just know I'm either depressed or sad or whatever that is, that they're only allowed this tiny little box of emotion that they're able to show. So I do know that being in a same gender classroom and having a male teacher, you know, is, is really important. But we do do um, uh, both genders or mixed genders, all genders, I should say, yeah. um, in the classroom. And I think that that is really important. Um, we do, I have historically insisted on mixed gender because everybody probably at some point in their life will live it with somebody who is different than them who if you are born with a penis, you might live with somebody with a vulva or you have a mother or a father or you know, you may have a partner later in life. And so it's important to understand. But also again, the normalizing is understanding that most of the changes that happen and all of the feelings that we have are shared. And it's not unique to one gender. So it's yeah. not unique to boys, it's not unique to girls. It's how we as society put those limiting um, ideas on them. So how has your training changed or evolved with the changes in gender neutral, trans, LBGTQ, all of that? How has that changed your the training that you provide? Or has it? Well, it actually has not necessarily, we just probably use more inclusive language. And I think it's really terrific to uh, begin to understand we do a lot. I, and I've always done a lot on gender 
and like we do a gender scavenger hunt in you know magazines and you know we would sort of do a gallery of what we found in society so in magazines and books and billboards and tv ads how women were portrayed who was portrayed and it was fascinating to them because it's always the same type of woman and it's the same type of men and women are inherently underdressed and men are uh, typically either an athlete or a businessman, right? We don't usually see women portrayed as going to work or being, you know, a mom. Is so, that still true? Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. I know you pick up a magazine and you'd be surprised. All of the women have a particular type of hair. Their mouths are slightly open. They, uh, you know, and advertising is meant to make us feel bad so that we then go and then buy that product, right? Um, but I would say, so gender has always been part of the education and recognizing how limiting those gender stereotypes can be. I think using the language and the more inclusive language, they, them pronouns, she, her pronouns, we now introduce ourselves with our pronouns so that people don't assume or have to ask us. And I think it's safe to say that in every classroom that we have ever been in, there probably is a young person who's saying, this doesn't feel right for me. This doesn't, I don't, I don't identify with any of that. What do I do if I, if I, I don't see myself anywhere in this classroom. I don't see it myself anywhere in this school. So we have, as health educators, started to expand what that definition is. So we change our language. So instead of saying boyfriend or girlfriend, we say partners. So we say what we ask people to identify themselves and what pronouns they would prefer. So if it's a Zoom call, like in a Zoom classroom, I'll I'll put she, her, hers on my, because that is how I identify. but I will ask folks and I try to stop saying gendered terms like, hey guys, you know, I'll say, hey everybody, right? Or I never thought that we'd have something gender inclusive from Texas, but we also, you know, we, we say, hey y'all, <laughs> so, so, which is really inclusive. But I think it's helpful to really just get us all to, again, just expand our knowledge in what healthy relationships are, how people feel, and what our society has made us understand about what it means to be a girl, what it means to be a boy, but ultimately what it means to just feel good in our body. And there's a I big, hope that answers yeah. your question. I sort of yes, went off it does. a little bit. And I, I can see that there's a big gap between mm-hmm. what we are told to look like or to conform to and the yeah. actual reality of it. And especially now with young kids where there is so much uncertainty. And as you said, many, many more kids are now not identified with their gender birth. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. know from a very early age, four, five, six, that yeah. Yeah. the body doesn't quite go with what they're yeah. understanding. Something, yeah, something is amiss. One of my... Um, my, I have so many favorite classes, but one of my favorite classes was when we would have somebody come in who was transgender or who was gay, identified as gay or homosexual, and they would always say, the kids would say, um, you know, we'd have a list of questions that, you know, we would prepare the day before, you know, hey, we're having a guest tomorrow. What are things that you would like to know about this experience or their experience? Or what are some things that you've always wanted to ask? And I could either reframe it for them And one of the questions always is, when did you know? Mm. And they always say five or six years old, that I knew something was just not quite right. Somebody asked me to do something or told me I had to go somewhere, you know, and that's of course not for everyone, but over 25 years of having people uh, come into my classroom, that that is definitely one of the responses. And so I always have them bring like a little picture like from elementary school so that they can say wow they knew they knew something they knew something was a mess because everybody was aligning in a particular way or wearing a particular thing or being yeah. told to behave in a particular way and they just said this doesn't add up this doesn't make me feel good right yeah i love that emphasis on feeling good 
because that is sexuality has always been such a hush hush subject that just because of that fact alone there's a lot of fear there's a lot of concern about am I should I even be doing this regardless of what age we're talking about but all the associations and and I wanted to ask you about pornography and how that has impacted the work that you've done and what kind of solutions or creative ideas that you've had around that that you've been able to implement (laughs) well i would say so that's there's so much there so i think that um feeling good in your body is in you know it's always the parents values and how what they have for that child but it's always difficult for parents to be able to move along that spectrum with their kids Mm -hmm. and so i it's it's always been um, probably the most difficult thing working in a classroom is is getting that buy-in from uh, from school boards and parents and all of that. Um, but pornography, there's so much that has changed in the past decade. Mm-hmm. I sometimes will write it out for parents and say, "Listen, this is very different." Like you, you, the parents will come in and say, "Oh my gosh, I feel like I don't even know what to tell my kid. I feel like I'm living in a different world." And I say. You are, because think about what's happened in just in the last 15 years. We have the internet, things are available 24 seven, speaking to pornography, and I wanna say some more about that. Um, But gay marriage has become legalized, marijuana has become legalized. So all of those previous taboos that even under Obama, when he came into office, he wouldn't even say that he was for gay marriage. But by the end of those eight years, imagine that social movement moved that quickly that from the beginning of his presidency to the end of his presidency, not legal, couldn't even say the word, to absolutely federally legal. So so we are moving very, very quickly and the language around it changes very quickly. And the internet is also something that none of us had growing up. So to have and I have such strong opinions about Google and Facebook and all those platforms because it just, it's astonishing to me that we have so much information at our fingertips and yet parents are always chasing these organizations to try to keep their kids safe or to try to limit the exposure when it would be really, really so super easy just to create a little switch in your phone that have parental controls built into them. And then you can just undo them rather than the other way around. Because pornography, um, even though there are a ton of, I think sites that offer this, um, or that have, you can access something of a sexual nature and pretty explicit mm-hmm. um, that they do say you have to be 18, you do have to have a credit card, but kids are smart. Kids are, they know what Get to do. Sure. And in the absence of having a comprehensive education program that includes media literacy, where else are they going to go find it? Of course, we would all, you know, how many folks do we know, cousins, brothers, sisters, you know, whatever, that would go and sneak a Playboy, that would go and, you know, previously, I think in all of, you know, certainly in my generation and even the generation following, it was more difficult to access that in this information. And it took a lot longer. Now it can just pop up on your screen and the images because we're all fighting for, you know, or, or, you know, websites are fighting for those eyeballs on the, and the clicks mm-hmm. onto their sites, it becomes more graphic and it becomes more violent. And that to yeah. me is one of the biggest concerns is that we don't have a regulation. TV, computers, mm-hmm. in, in my mm-hmm. opinion, and I know that this, you know, a lot of people say this is a First Amendment issue, but it is absolutely within the First Amendment to say, this is not proper speech for somebody under the age of 18 or proper images. Like this is not something that is safe for a young person to see and people are being exploited. Um, But it's a really, really difficult uh, topic to teach in schools because it is illegal under the age of 18. So to even talk about it, my previous work, um, I got a firm, no way, you are not talking about this topic. We are not entertaining this. 
but I would always get, Mrs. Scope, can we talk about something that rhymes with corn? And I was like, oh, we need to talk about this. We have to talk about this because it's a natural curiosity and we're sexual beings. And so when we see that we are stimulated and hopefully it's in a good way. And one of the other things we can't talk about is pleasure, right? In class, because too many parents will say, I don't want you telling my kids that telling my kids to go out and have sex. And I say, but I'm not, I'm not. I just want them to feel good in their bodies. I, my overarching message is it is better to delay, better to delay, better to wait. Um, but the pornography lesson, we get around that by teaching about media literacy. So we ask those five simple questions who created this message? Why did they create it? whose values are being transmitted, what are they trying to sell you, and go ahead and turn it off if you need to, or flip the switch, right? Yeah, that's a, I love those questions. Yeah. Because yeah. that can, from from listening to you describe it, it can give a young person the opportunity to stop. Mm-hmm. Although, you know, when, when you have hormones raging, your logic doesn't always kick in at the appropriate it doesn't, moment. But it, it's still there. It just might be like this a little bit. And then we have to kind of go, let's bring it back. <laughs> <laughs> but I love that term media literacy in terms of pornography or even soft porn, as you as you had mentioned earlier, with women in uh, with a lot of flesh exposed yeah. and men too you know you get that buff mm-hmm. chest and the muscles and mm-hmm. that that can be not only enticing mm-hmm. and would stir up some hormones there but also i would think that you know when you're talking about health when you see images like that and of course we all know that the the detrimental consequences of social media giving us these pictures of people who are perfect in their bodies, mm-hmm. whether they're male or female. Yeah. And yeah. then there's most of us don't conform to those images and we never will. Yeah. So I would think that that kind of conflict would be an interesting component that maybe you are addressing in the work that you do. Well, we do in media literacy, I tell everyone, at least in the United States, that every single image that they see has been retouched. So nothing is as it seems, ever. And so there are countries, um, I believe France, and I'm not, I think it's Spain as well, have um, put limits on how much a photo can be retouched. So advertising is so powerful and we know it's a you know billions and billions of dollars are spent on advertising but i do think we need to have this you know maybe even like a little warning sign this image has been retouched you know and you know photoshop is something that can be fun and can be very creative and artistic but i think the limiting views or the limiting images of how women are portrayed or what the ideal female is or what the ideal male is, 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 can be quite dangerous. And like I said, it's just because it's limiting. Mm. Some people will look like that, but a very small percentage will look like 95% of the ads that are out there. So let's, and I would say that's one of the positives that have come out of the past decade is, let's be more inclusive. Let's understand that there are different sizes, there are different, um, you know, different people from different countries. And in our own country, there are different people who don't conform to that limiting ideal or definition of beauty. And it really is just limiting if we, you know, that's for me, I don't want to say negative because people look like that and that's not a negative, but it's just limiting. And we just need to, again, just open it up a little bit. Right. Yeah. yeah. That, that's a great word to use because we're not getting into right or wrong or good or bad, yeah. but yeah. just what what is what makes sense mm-hmm. and and what is helpful. Yeah. When I think it's also for a young person to be able to understand it 
and not have to put another person down for that. Mm. So it's lifting everyone up because you don't want to fall into a stereotype or be considered a stereotype or even have to think of somebody else. Because if you, you know, for all of us, even as adults, we look at somebody and say, you know, and I think, I think, you know, we all have a way to categorize folks. And if it's, you know, that's just a human behavior. We say, you know, who's this person? Can I make sense of that person in my world? But for a young person to be able to say, look at somebody and say, you know, that person is a musician, but they're also a really incredible poet, but they're also a really incredible big brother, big sister, you know? And so we don't want to limit anything that has to do with anyone. Yeah. And that is the nature of creativity. Yeah, right? I know, and I was looking at all of the paintings behind you and I was like, you could just, the sky's the limit, right? Just give somebody some, you know, colors and paper and glue and pens and, you know, paintbrushes and just right. go, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. When they don't feel like they're limited. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's always a stumbling block, I think, across the board in everything we do. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree if we, yeah, that's like a good universal truth, right? Creativity should not be limiting in any capacity, right? Now, it is, and I'm, I'm, you've already referred to this, there, there is the odd situation that sometimes constraints can allow you to be or force you to be or invite you to be more creative. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. Mm -hmm. But at that the same true. time, it's it's all in service of what the ultimate goal is. That's true. That's true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think for somebody maybe in a relationship, if we could sort of continue that thread, that somebody in a relationship, by getting to know that person better and by delaying or by not limiting what they think that relationship could be like hey this you know we could be really good friends or let's get to know each other a little bit better that that can delay any risky behavior yeah if that makes sense that might be a little bit of a stretch but it's <laughs> good enough <laughs> we'll go with it you know i am curious about how covid has affected the work that you do Mm, Whether it's question. affected the kinds yeah. of work that you offer or made a difference in some way. Well, because the schools are closed, uh, obviously we cannot meet them in person. But I will say that COVID has been very creative for me in terms of creating a ton of PowerPoints and being able mm. to access kids in a way that... Um, usually you go into a classroom and if you have, you know, one or two kids who are disruptive, especially in middle school or somebody's giggling too much, which can be great. I love the giggles because puberty is funny and talking about sexuality can be embarrassing and funny, but we try to create that safe space. But I think COVID allows us to reach a wider audience. Um, for example, I was able to teach a group of seniors at a Catholic high school in Arizona wow. that had never had sex ed, but because nice. we were able to reach them via Zoom in an after-school program, that they were just beyond grateful. They were like, why has nobody told us about any of this? I didn't know you could go to the clinic. I had no idea about any kind of birth control method right and knowledge is power and knowledge allows us to make those safer and healthier decisions and i would also say COVID has been great first COVID is awful it's we've lost too many souls on this earth it's just horrific but in adapting that behavior there has been some positives so being able to access people that we didn't before and then also um you know for those disruptive kids We've had some really, really great classes where kids who wouldn't normally speak up felt really comfortable to be able to ask questions. So the behavior in the classroom, we didn't have to manage as much. And so we were able to just say, you know, we could mute everybody so that we could finish what we were talking about. So we could get through the whole birth control uh, right, demonstration, right, right, right. or we could show the video, you know, on pornography of what it is, you know, because we show an animated video from Amaze, which is just a terrific organization. Um, 
And so we're able to give tons of content that we wouldn't necessarily be able to do in the classroom. So, and we have probably like that extra 10, 15 minutes every class because we don't have to take attendance. We don't have to do all of those other things that are in the classroom. Right. And we can put up as much information as we want. We also usually have a, an anonymous question box at the beginning um, of oh, each class. Brilliant. So it's kind of, it creates again, that safe space so nobody has to raise their hand and you know ask whatever embarrassing questions that, you know, cause we don't want to say, ah, I saw so-and-so ask that question, you know, in class, whatever. Um, so we have the anonymous question box, but we've used Padlet, uh, which has just been phenomenal. And so Padlet is free for up to five Padlets. I don't know if you know what that is, but it's no. a, basically, and you can put any gorgeous background on it and oh. you give it somebody, everybody the link and you make it all anonymous and they can ask a million questions, right? And from those questions, which really, this is something else that is always astonishes me. The questions are the same. When is it okay to have sex? What should I do if my partner is mad at me? What should I do if my parents don't like my boyfriend or my girlfriend or my partner? You know, all of those questions are the same. And, you know, we know what they are doing by the questions that they ask and the mm -hmm. anonymous questions that they ask. So in kind of bringing that thread back to pornography, there's some things that they've asked. I was like, oh, I have to look that up. I don't know what that is. I don't know who that is. <laughs> and their pornography starts from the 1970s. I'm like, oh, how do they know that? Like, <laughs> so, you know, again, the access is there. They know it. They want to normalize that. You know, and um, at my current work, we kind of divide the questions into so what kind of questions are these? Are these shock questions and they just want to get a laugh out of people? Are they permission seeking questions? Are they am I normal questions? Mm. You know, so we, you know, want to um, or in just, you know, again, information seeking. Um, so they we can kind of analyze the questions and say, OK, we kind of understand what's happening in this classroom, you know. Um, so there are creative ways, and I, I have to say it's been really positive in using PowerPoint and Zoom with COVID that people have responded well. Nothing, of course, is like being in person, yeah. um, but there is kind of a safe space for kids if they want to turn off their cameras and just put something in the chat, like they right. can also chat me directly. So in that way, like we had... Um, a young person, uh, they identified as they, but they were born as a female and said, could you please, please, please talk about what, what the pronouns are, but also what it means to be gay. Like, and so that was a very safe space for them to be able to ask that. Yeah. And so when you were doing, when you are doing these kinds of conversations on Zoom, is it just you or do you have this group of actors who are available and also that's a great question so that's one of the things that we're trying to create now so and last year we had um a pre-recorded show um but you know all the actors are in new york and this is kind of one of those just terribly terribly sad things about covid yeah that actors were out of work and not living in new york city right and not being able to gather and not being able to do that incredible work that they do so yes we can do the scenarios um but we so we did that just a couple of times but then we would use some videos that are were already created and so i mentioned the maze before but they just have some really great age-appropriate animated really medically accurate um, developmentally appropriate uh, uh, scenarios that are just three minutes long. So we would play those, um, stop them, and, and do a Q&A after that. I, I just, the thought of having that in my grade school, middle school, is just mind-blowing because that yeah. was never, yeah. ever an option. Yeah. And I, I can't even begin to imagine how much relief there is with those kids of being given the opportunity to have a safe, frank, open, accepting, non-judgmental context to talk about this. Well, here's the funny thing, Nina, is that I don't even think that they know that they're not getting it, right? 
Mm. It's until they get to high school. And we have a Catholic school uh, near us where a lot of the kids that I used to teach would go to that Catholic high school. My middle school was a very progressive middle school. Um, and they would come back and they'd say, oh, Mrs. Scope, our Christian sex class is nothing like yours. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'd say, I know, I have, well, hopefully it's accurate and it's science-based and it's not, you know, like, you know, it is a Catholic school and they're trying to teach you values and trying to teach the doctrine of that, of the church. But there are certain things that I think, you know, in order to stay safe, don't align with um, some religious doctrine. And so that's one of our challenges. And certainly at the very, very beginning of HIV was a lot of the homeless shelters in New York were Catholic charities. And we were not allowed to discuss birth control or condoms, even though so we were allowed to talk about abstinence, but we were not allowed um, to talk about giving them condoms or how to prevent it mm. if they were still going to engage in sexual activity. So very, very frustrating and very difficult to try to be creative and work around that because mm. you just want to pull your hair out because you, you're like, we're talking about these children and we're talking about their lives. And if we know how to keep them safe, why would you not do everything in your power to do that? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Just to get as creative as possible. So um, I think in the developmental, like in middle school, I think they know that they're going through certain things, but if they haven't, you know, and it's very normal when they have it, nobody thinks like, oh, this is weird because we're very clear. This is private behaviors. These are public behaviors. We're going to talk about this in this class. We're not going to talk and say the word penis in math class. That's just, we're not going to do that, right? <laughs> At least out loud. At least out loud. Although I will say that was a game that they used to play. And oh my gosh. Um, yeah, it was just to shout penis as loud as they could in the middle school playground. And I was like, oh, come on, everybody. Don't get in trouble. Typical <laughs> <laughs> kid behavior. I know, which is, it's funny and but it's we have to we have to monitor that because it's not appropriate socially that's not acceptable so right. you know you're <laughs> gonna get in trouble and you can't say that <laughs> oh, talk about peer pressure because i know that's one of the topics that you include yeah yeah one of, um, I like to say peer pressure, and when we talk about peer pressure, I like to talk about good friends, bad friends, healthy relationships, and unhealthy relationships. Mm -hmm. And I often think that, and I try to, again, frame peer pressure as um, there can be positive peer pressure, which is everybody goes to class, everybody's studying, hey, meet me in the library, we're going to study for our test, you know, uh, next week, or we all have a big Spanish test, let's go get together at so-and-so's house and do this, right? So there's very positive peer pressure um, around, um, I think, those types of, you know, like doing, doing things that are going to benefit somebody, or peer pressure around consent. I do think that's something that else that has changed in the last decade, as in California, we have the law is that we have to teach affirmative consent. So it's consent is not just the absence of a no, it's the presence of a yes or very clear body language that is that that is affirming. But I think peer pressure um, requires sort of feeling in the body and being uh, being able to understand what a young person's rights are, mm. but also having to practice saying no. And what does no sound like? No can sound like, no thanks, I'm good. No thanks, I'm gonna do an alternative behavior. No thanks, I'm gonna reverse the pressure. Why are you pressuring me? You know, I thought you were my friend. I keep saying no, but you keep coming back at me, right? Um, or finally being able to tell an adult or a trusted adult, hey, you know what, I feel I'm really uncomfortable. This, this, you know, my, you know, so-and-so keeps asking me to do this and I just don't want to do this. And how to say no and how to get out of a situation safely. So again, depends on the level of peer pressure. If somebody's asking you really to do something that's dangerous and that requires a different 
uh, like if somebody's asking you to do drugs or to do something unsafe, then that's very different than, you know, maybe cutting class for a day or lying to your parents, right? So we try to differentiate the, between what that is. But again, understanding that they have the right to say no. And if we can define what healthy and unhealthy relationships mm-hmm. are, mm-hmm. then I think they feel, the young person feels more empowered to be able to say no. And that's not part of a healthy relationship. That's not something that I want in my life or want to keep in my life, you know? And yeah. it's not easy by any stretch of the imagination, but yep. just being able to say, this doesn't feel good. I don't like it when this person does that. And that's not, you know, but also being able to say that and keep the friendship or keep the relationship because oftentimes for a young person who is trying to pressure their friend, they may say, oh, this is right, but I don't know how to get out of this without saving face, you know? So being able to say, suggest (laughs) one of my favorite ways to get out of is to suggest an alternative. You know, I know you said we should cut class, but you know what? let's just go to the mall afterwards, you know, or let's just go to the creek afterwards or, you know, something that allows both people to be without shame and and move forward in their relationship. And that's very difficult to say no. Yeah. When you feel no and the other person is saying yes, that's not easy. That's not easy for adults. So for kids, it's Mm -hmm. even harder. It really is. And I think that's, the importance of defining those relationships and what it means to have yeah. a healthy relationship. You know, a healthy relationship means nobody hurts each other, nobody hurt, nobody's violent with each other. And those are just sort of the big ones. Nobody lies to you, nobody is disloyal, you know. So, but, but also it's somebody who makes you laugh. It's somebody who enjoys the things that you do. It's somebody who invites change or likes to see you grow, right? Uh, so it's identifying that. And then also identifying what can break up a relationship. And that can be difficult, you know? Yeah. We're all humans and we want to be in relation with each other in whatever capacity that yeah. is. Yeah. You know? have, you, have you seen a change since the pandemic began? Have you seen a change in kids' behavior, young people's behavior, is it more conservative? I mean, first of all, we can't we can't be hanging around with each other in the same way that we used to. So mm-hmm. that that already is, at least on the surface, eliminating some opportunities. Yeah. But I'm curious as to whether this time of isolation or quasi-isolation has change the kinds of questions that kids ask, that young people ask? You know, we have, I have not seen a lot of kids directly, um, but what parents and teachers are reporting is that they are concerned if a student keeps their camera off and can maintain and continually keeps that camera off or if they don't show up for class. And that that's one of the biggest markers is that you know, the inequities in that household, maybe somebody doesn't feel comfortable, maybe somebody doesn't have internet access, maybe somebody is just really sad or depressed or is unable to get to class or doesn't have the support that they need. And I think that, you know, the teachers in this country are pretty incredible and they're on top of that because we will often go in as the guest speaker or the consultant um, and so don't always access those those students on a regular basis, but we can raise flags because we're mandated reporters if we see something or we say, you know, we got these types of questions, um, you know, this is something that needs to rise to the level of somebody else stepping in. Yeah. Um, in one of the classes that we were in, um, one of the social workers was in the class the entire time. So they know the children and they know those behaviors. And so if they see something or can recognize something, mm. um, they can, you know, again, raise that to a level of somebody else stepping in, you know, or make that phone call home. Um, but I do think that for some students, this has been a relief to not be in class. I think that, you know, we have different types of learners. Uh, but I think for some, they really miss their friends, you know, where they need their peers and they want to be 
around their their fellow students to to engage and learn and you know and and really get the assistance really hard for second third fourth fifth grader to upload a pdf and try to figure out how to turn their homework in on all these things you know it's difficult it's difficult but but i would say um yes of course there's there's difficulty in engaging certain kids and certainly with covid it has blown open a lot of inequities mm -hmm. and it has not allowed certain students to to learn and to feel as good as they could or should or receive the information or education that they would have had they been in class so you know that was a question i was going to ask you yeah. about the inequities and the disparities that happen over certain economic and, and social uh, limitations yeah yeah there was in many of the schools that we are in um, they have addressed that and so they will send chromebooks home or they will have um, a library open for students um, but too often and certainly over this within the state of california there are so many school districts because the schools were open that that was the only place that kids were getting their meals that was the only place that they had internet so for example in central california one of the uh one of the uh so we do a training of the trainers with the state and they were telling us that they just couldn't finish half the lessons that they had because nobody had internet and the you know either the smoke was too you know much at the school or nearby the school or the only time that they could talk to somebody was between 8 and 9 a.m because that was the only time the parents could drive by the school and get the internet from the school because they just didn't have it at their home so to have students and there was a picture that was in a newspaper, I forget if it was the San Francisco Chronicle or um, the New York Times, but there were two young girls sitting outside of a Taco Bell, outside in their school uniforms, just because that was the only place that they could get an internet uh, connection. So we have a lot of work to do in terms of inequities. Um, and we have some basic needs that have to be met. Um, I happen to think that sex ed is one of those basic needs. Um, not all school districts believe that. Um, but of course, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you need to have shelter, you need to have food and you need, you know, all of those things. But in terms of education, I think, you know, we know better and we can, we have a lot of work to do, to do better. Yeah. And we can. Yeah, we can. can find ways to do it. Yeah. And all those creative ways to do it. Yeah. Right. And reach all those young people. Um, you know, we don't have to agree on everything and how we do it, but I think that everybody, um, you know, we're a country that has the highest teenage pregnancy rate in the industrialized world. And it's uh, an absolute abomination that we can't, that we know how to prevent these things. We know how to provide access to healthcare. Um, and we're choosing to have young people go into these very important relationships without all the tools for their toolbox. Yeah. And don't, you know, I'm wondering, I think what you're saying is so true. And I'm also thinking about the fact that no, this has never been a priority. People take it for granted mm -hmm. so that the opportunity to present these kinds of programs that you're offering is maybe not relatively new but the fact that it is being accepted and implemented you know in any kind of system whether it's a school system or a, a governmental system every everything is behind the times it's always yeah. catching up to the needs of the current population and i think this is true also here I also suspect that there is more going on in this field than most people know about because it's not made it's not made public it's not common oh this there's this 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 you can try this look at that it's just not common knowledge but it's there's there a ton, yeah there is a ton 
people going into public health <laughs> um, in whatever capacity that is. But I do, I, I want to just go back to one, something that you, um, that you said earlier, which is a lot of people uh, don't know a lot about it. And my experience has been, they know about it. They don't want it in the schools. Um, so when I was at UCLA, there was, I remember just being blown away about by how many conservative folks were getting themselves onto the school boards simply so that they could make decisions about sexuality education and say no to it, mm -hmm. that it was up to the parents. And I think that's one of the misconceptions is at least when I go into the classroom and I, for every sex educator I know or health educator that I know, we always say parents are the primary educators. We are simply giving your child medically accurate information about what happens similar to science class. Like this is just an anatomy class. This is what happens. This is how your heart works. This is how your body works. This is how a baby is made. Here's how to prevent that. And then you and increasing that sort of knowledge with the social and emotional uh, lesson around all yeah. of that uh, change those around all of those changes but I think um, people are pretty conservative in government and only 13 states allow or uh, mandate comprehensive sex education in the United States mm. um, only 27 say that it's it should be comprehensive and medically accurate which is just you kind of go huh what why would you not want your information to be medically accurate? Why would you send your child to a school that wasn't medically accurate? That doesn't really make sense. Like, you know, but the state of Texas, well, can all, the entire state can only teach abstinence only education. That's all they teach. That's state mandated. So yeah. they know about this and they don't want it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's government for you. I know. I it takes know. a while for these things I, to become more acceptable. I agree. I agree. Yeah. But we have some good people doing some good things. Like oh, I know. I, I think you're one of them. Yeah. yeah. So I would love you to answer two questions. One is, how can people find you and what you're up to? Your website is teenhealtheducator.com. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so that is the best way to find me um, is just go on there and go ahead and subscribe. I do, you know, a monthly blog and we're going to be starting a podcast. We're sort of we're recording um, a couple of our episodes so far, um, but that is the best way to find me. And, there, you know, I'm also part of something, the Sexuality Education Alliance, SEA, and they have a ton of educators throughout the country who, um, you know, if you don't want something online or if you want something, um, you know, an in-person, you know, person in North Carolina or Florida, they have a, a ton of resources there because I think just this education is super, super, super important. So, but Teen Health Educator, so come and see me there. I love it. <laughs> and if you would, leave us with something uplifting about the work that you do and the consequences you've seen that have happened as a result? I think probably the best thing that comes out of, and certainly this is middle school and high school would be slightly different, but I think one of the best things that comes out of middle school is just like a, like, I feel like kids can just take a deep breath and go, oh, that's right, that is true, or, oh, that makes sense. I know now how to ask for something that I want, or I know how to tell somebody no. And it takes away the pressure or the stigma that is often uh, comes with feeling ashamed or feeling awkward or feeling nervous about asking something. And, you know, one of just my favorite moments are when people can just take that deep breath and a young person can just say, oh, thanks for answering that. And then they move on and their mind is cleared or they're, they, they feel safe in their body and they feel that they, there is a trusted adult that, that can answer a question for them without, again, without shaming them or making them feel silly 
or making them feel embarrassed or mm. have it. Why are you asking that? What's wrong with you? You know, are you dirty? Are you this? Are you that? Like, where did you learn this? You know, just we are curious and we are sexual beings and letting young people try to figure that out on their own without some education around it, I don't think is very health, healthy or helpful. Yeah. yeah. But I love what you're saying about the the freedom and that it gives a young person to be able to ask things that there's no other place they can do it. Yeah, like I had a great example, um, and just this is reminding me, and I, I know where uh, the, the example just was, I, there was a young girl, she wanted to be, she was a tomboy, she was, but you know, like the year before, she just was very feminine presenting, but this year she's now currently just really, she wants to be called they, she wants to use those pronouns. And sometimes for young people and adolescents, it really is just like trying on a couple of different hats. Like, does this fit me? Am I this person? I don't know, but there's nothing wrong with asking. And there's nothing wrong with saying, I'm not sure who I am. I'm gonna try this on for a little bit. This doesn't fit or this fits, but I have the freedom and the safety to be able to say, I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for being on this call with me. Thank you, Nina, for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank well, you. It's been, it's been informative and hopeful that, they're, that kids are getting more of what they really need. Hopefully, right? Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, everyone who has been watching or listening. We appreciate it, and we hope to see you on the next episode. So bye for now.